In 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, the Apostle Paul said, Know this, that in the last days, grievous times shall come. Now, that's American standard. The King James renders, perilous times shall come. You know, perilous times have been overcome by men of faith down through the ages, have they not? There are some perils of the human soul that made the more so by virtue or by their very insidious nature. For instance, the doctrines and commandments of men. Someone says, now wait a minute, we understand about that. We know about that. We're familiar with the doctrines and commandments of men. Let me tell you something about it. When you were growing in your mother's womb and love was overflowing in her heart, and she attended those baby showers and received all those little marvelous gifts, and she, ca- she looked at them a hundred times. And she used every visitor as an occasion to look at them again. And she laid them all out. She did not say in her heart, I'm going to teach this child the philosophies of men. I mean, I'm going to lead him or her to accept human authority so he or she will not understand the law of the Lord and consequently be eternally lost. You see, as a matter of fact, such a thing never crossed her mind. And if it had been suggested, she would have been filled with indignation, no doubt about it. She would have given her life before thinking positively on such a matter. Nor did her parents before her entertain such a concept. But friends, we have grown up with the doctrines and commandments of men. Relative, that is traditional laxity, relative to these doctrines and commandments. And we tend to philosophically accept the status quo, the existing condition. Many people making no effort to become better by gaining a greater, more knowledge of God's word, just content with where they are. You know, worship founded upon the doctrines and commandments of men is vain. Uh, you recall that in Matthew 15, 8 and 9. Uh, These people honor me with their lips, draw nigh to me with their mouths, but their heart is far from me. Now, wait a minute, Lord, on what basis are you saying this? Oh, he continues, in vain do they worship me teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And he quotes a passage, of course, from Isaiah that says, their fear of me is a commandment that has been taught them by men. And yet people literally by the millions continue to live and die with no higher authority for their spiritual concept, their practice than human wisdom, human philosophy. It's a tragic crying shame because their worship is vain. Now, the word vain simply means empty, useless, without reward. It will not be honored by the God of heaven. Now, one of the tragedies involved is found in the fact that many of these people are sincere. They're honest, good-hearted, oftentimes fine neighbors, morally upright, religiously oriented. They talk about Christ. Some of them more zealous in the propagation of the doctrine that they have embraced than even the children of God. But none of that brings you into a covenant relationship 
with the Almighty. None of that will deliver you from the cosmos of iniquity, the world where man is without God and without hope, Ephesians 2.12. It will not bring you into conciliatory relationship with your maker. Friends, it's wonderful to be good. And by nature, man is religious. And it's fine to be committed. But the doctrines and commandments of men will result in vain worship. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye shall all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. And he goes on to say, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there be contentions among you. This I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas, I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? What's happening here? What's happening in Corinth, Paul? Well, these people are fragmented. You see, Paul here is possibly using this as an illustration of the importance, if you will, of not going beyond what is written, of not following in the footsteps of human wisdom, human philosophy, regardless of our appreciation for some man. But listening to divine revelation, these people were divided among themselves. Yet if we follow the teaching of the Lord, friends, we find ourselves speaking the same thing, walking in the same way. You see, it's perilous to the soul for the blind to lead the blind. Oh, that statement's made, isn't it, over in Matthew chapter 15, verse 4? The Lord's teaching here has incensed, or in somewhat incensed, the lawyers, you remember. And his disciples came to him and said, Lord, you've offended the lawyers. He said, let them alone. Uh, Wait a minute, Lord. You mean you have nothing to do with them? No, no, no. He says, don't take away the offense of the teaching that I've been doing. They need that. He said, let them alone. He said, they'd be blind guys. Now listen to him. Matthew 15, 14, if the blind lead the blind, then both shall fall into the ditch. And somebody rears back and says, well, that's not fair. Friends, salvation is not a matter of fair or unfair. Let me give an illustration. Many of you know that I'm an outdoorsman. I love it since I was a kid. You hire a guide and you're hunting brown bear on Kodiak Island. And you're expecting to see whatever out there long before it sees you. But you're walking down this trail and you stumble across a sow with two half-grown cubs. Ooh, she picks up your scent. She sees you coming. And here comes 900 pounds of freight train bearing down on you. And someone says, wait a minute. I hired a guide here and he has expert knowledge of brown bear. Friend, he better start using it in a hurry. And in some unusual way. But in the meantime, you may want to pray. Oh, but don't close your eyes because, see, it's time to see how proficient you are with that hunting rifle of yours. You're going to need it. Well, someone says, wait a minute. I mean, that's not fair. I mean, I hired this person. I put my trust in this man, my confidence. Friend, it's not a matter of fair. It's a matter of bear. I mean, your soul is at stake, for spiritually speaking. You see... It's not a matter of listening to some fella somewhere in some denomination uh, 
you know, that, that says this, that, or the other, even if he's kind and considerate and honest and compassionate, dedicated, warm, friendly, neighborly, but in error? Well, someone says, this is what I grew up with. This denomination is what I prefer. And it's what I'm used to. It's what I like to hear. Uh, it, it makes me feel good, and I've honestly followed the Lord. No, you have not honestly followed the Lord. You've not sincerely followed Him because God Almighty warns against listening to men exclusively, basing your faith upon human philosophy, having no higher authority for your thought, speech, and conduct than man's wisdom. What we need is the truth of God. And the marvelous thing about it is, friends, that in His divine grace, He brought it down in the language of the common man. No, it's not a matter of fear. You see, God expects me as a responsible human being, made in his image and likeness. And he placed his word here. And yes, there's 10,000 words, 10,000 errors, that is, for every simple point of truth. But the marvelous thing is, we have the truth. Well, somebody says, now, wait a minute. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. I mean, I believe in this fellow over here. He, uh, he's a good man. I have confidence in him. This is my particular religious group. They do many things that please me. I'm satisfied over here in this particular arrangement. We have this work going on, and that's the thing I wanted. What's the problem? Now, friends, we're not talking about bad people. We're not talking about, you know, whoremongers and murderers and thieves and the ungodly and the perverts and the drunkards and... And we're not talking about people who have given themselves over to fleshly pleasures and the dissolution and destruction of their very soul. No, no. We're talking about the cream of the human family. What's the problem? People have just grown up with the doctrines and the commandments of men. You see, in Matthew 15, 13, Jesus said, every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Well, somebody says, wait a minute. He's not talking about institutions unknown to and unauthorized by the Word of God. What's he talking about then? He's not talking about vegetation. In, his, in this context, he's talking about man's rejection of divine truth and the importance of its impact upon their souls. Even though they react negatively, he said, let them alone. Don't take away the offense of what I said because what I've said is going to stand in judgment. And any man who don't believe what he, what he said will be lost. So he needs what I'm saying, he says. Let them alone. What'd you say, Lord? Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about institutions, religious, that is unknown to and unauthorized by the word of God. I am persuaded, friends, that even in the Lord's church, some do not really believe that man is lost without the gospel. I'm not talking about some theory about the gospel. I'm not talking about some human philosophy or some form of good news. I'm talking about the simple instruction that Almighty God revealed in the native tongue, so when we read it, we can understand it. As Paul said in Ephesians 3, verse 4. People don't pay a great deal, deal of attention to this. A survey was taken several years ago in the Lord's church. 
And it was determined that 75 out of every 100 members of the Church of Christ cannot give book, chapter, and verse for the first fundamental principles of the gospel. Now, when we opportunity presents itself to share the gospel with someone else, are we taking advantage of that? Because if we were, we'd be praying about them and for them, and we'd be studying God's worth with them. And, you know, we may need to burn some midnight oil there. But then when they come along and ask the question, we give them book, chapter, and verse. People can be easily drawn, friends, is my point here, into relying upon human wisdom for salvation. It's one of the many devices of Satan. Those who teach doctrines other than the gospel of Christ, all of those who teach and those who follow will be eternally condemned. Paul said in Galatians 1, 6-9, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him who called you in the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another gospel. Only there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Though we or an angel from heaven should preach any other gospel than that which we have preached, let him be anathema. And then he said, so as, so as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach unto you any other gospel than that which you have received, let him be anathema, that is accursed, accursed. Now this thing is deadly serious. But some people are as so nonchalant about it as can be. It's amazing to me how men readily set aside what the Lord said to accept what men, what movements, what traditions, or anything else has suggested. Perilous. Deadly to the human soul. But you know, ignorance is also perilous to the soul. Ignorance crucified Christ, you recall. You know, Peter speaking to the Jews in Acts 3, verse 17, he said, And now, brethren, I know that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. And of course, having direct reference to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And I remember the Lord hanging suspended on the cross. And we talked about this Sunday morning, if you were here, and when we talked about the crucifixion. But in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They were conscious of their physical actions. There's no question. But they were not aware of the eternal consequences. They were not fully assured of the origin of the Son of God and did not properly identify him as the Messiah. And thus, through the envy of their religious leaders, they were stirred to a point of murder. But ignorance crucified the Son of God. You remember the psalmist said, Psalms 119.105, marvelous. He said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Isn't it amazing when the Lord gives a literal translation or literal meaning that is to that statement. He said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You see, that's the thing that illuminates the soul, that gives peace of mind and security and peace. And shows the proper pathway. And people remain ignorant of such marvelous instruction for successful, productive, profitable daily living. Somebody says, well, now, I'm reasonably successful. Successful in what? Well, I know my job. I like what I do. And I do it conscientiously. Friend, that's marvelous. That is 
wonderful. That kind of quality is rare commodity today. And I mean, and, and it's amazing to have that. And there are still people that fill that bill. That's, that's wonderful. But have you considered that all of your aims and aspirations reach no higher than the mundane? You can't keep it. You're going to leave it. If you attain it, attain it, it still belongs to the Lord. We are but stewards, but we are an immortal soul. The thing we need to be primarily interested in is not that which we can't keep, but that which we can't lose. You see, since I'm an immortal soul clothed in a very temporary tabernacle, I need to place the emphasis on the immortal aspect. God has made arrangements to that end, has he not? And yet with all the understanding, with all the astute abilities, with all the technology of the day, with all the skill and the different talents that people have, it seems that many people willfully and deliberately remain ignorant of the only thing that can really fill the heart of man made in the image and likeness of God. Friend, ignorance will destroy. Didn't God say through Hosea the prophet, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge? Uh, Lack of knowledge, Lord? My people, right? My, oh, someone says, well, I really don't make it a point to really study anymore. I mean, like a one step. I don't really have the time. I mean, there's just too much going on, the technology of the day and, We live in a hurry-scurry age, and I just don't have, you know, but I'm okay with that because I have a pretty good working knowledge of the Scripture, I believe. I don't think we understand what he's saying here. Maybe we don't comprehend what he's talking about. Let me ask you a question. Which meal, physically speaking, do you plan to eat beyond which you'll never eat another bite again? You don't contemplate such a meal. You see, the breaking down of cells through exercise and reestablishing them through proper breathing and rest and consumption of food, it's a continual process. Necessary energy to perform successfully day and night. It's an ongoing process. Would you say, Lord, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because they've forgotten the source of spiritual strength? Not because they don't know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Not because they fail to have an intellectual understanding of the sequence of words in my revelation. Uh, Some may be able to quote volumes of it. But he said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now the Lord said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. John 8, 32. The truth will make you free? Yes. Only when you become intimately involved so that in the study of this book, My thought, speech, and conduct is in harmony with the Lord's will. If we aren't careful, we can rest on our laurels. And that's why many in the church are unable to give book, chapter, and verse for the first fundamental principles of the gospel of God's Son. Perilous to the soul is ignorance. But you know, another peril to the soul is prejudice. Prejudice. Do you remember the wise men of Athens in the days of Paul? Several of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, of course, you know, they heard him in the marketplace, you remember. 
And they said, what will this babbler say? Acts 17, verse 18. Some of them says he may be set forth of strange gods. Because Paul preached the resurrection of Christ. And some of them laid hold on him and brought him into the Areopagus. Here he's surrounded by the city fathers. And he said unto them in Acts 17, 22 and 23, he said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For I passed by, and behold, your devotions, I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Whom ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Now one philosopher has said that it was easier to find a God in Athens than a man. And they were so meticulous, and polytheism reigned, but they were so meticulous, they didn't want to leave out a single God unless they should have overlooked one or that one should exist in which they weren't aware of. So they built an altar to an unknown God. And Paul continued in verse 24. He said, God that made the world and all the things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life, breath, and all things. I mean looking right at the Areopagus, probably looking right up there at the Parthenon. Acts 17.30, he said, At the times of this ignorance God winked at, that's overlooked, tolerated, suffered, allowed. Oh, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. That did it. And when they heard the resurrection from the dead, some mocked, made fun of him. Why would they do that? Luke had explained here in the context that these men of Athens spent their time in nothing else but to hear and to tell some new thing. I mean, why would it strike them as strange? The word is prejudice. You see, the idea of the resurrection of a man from the dead is to them preposterous. And since they do not entertain that in the frame of their thinking, the best way to handle that is with ridicule. That's called prejudice. Based on their thinking, that just couldn't happen. I mean, here's a man talking foolish, and the best way to handle him is to ridicule him. Friends, you and I can do that so easily in the religious world and destroy our influence. A lot of people, a lot of good people, honest and sincere, would turn to the truth if we would go, with, go to them with a heart of overflowing with love and a genuine concern for their soul. Talk to them about the love of God. Point them the better way. But too many times what we don't understand, we just kind of shoot down and move on. You see, that's the easy way to handle it. I mean, nail it to the wall. Don't have to fool with it. It's called prejudice. Prejudice. The word simply means to be prejudicial. That is to judge before and without the facts. And how easy it is to do that. Something we have to fight every day. You see, that's one of the battles that rages between the spirit and the flesh. And it's one of the most dangerous perils of the soul of man is to reject another precious soul made in the image and likeness of God without a hearing, deadly to the immortal soul.
deadly. But I want to mention another thing here and probably spend the remainder of our time here. I want to mention another thing perilous to the soul, and that is the desire to please men. The desire to please men? Now, it isn't wrong to want to please others. I suppose it's in our very nature to want to please people. We are certainly to go about doing good. The Lord went about doing good. There's no question. There's no question. Jesus said, agree with thy adversary while thou art in the way. Now, he's not talking about matters of doctrine here. Mm -mm, No, God's word, principles of truth must never be compromised. Make no mistake about it. But in matters of opinion, I need not be disagreeable. You know, it's one thing to disagree with someone. It's another thing entirely to be disagreeable. But you remember... You know, when it comes to proclaiming God, my task is not to please men. My job when asked to proclaim the gospel at various congregations of which I'm asked to preach throughout the year, the responsible, the task, the assignment, if you will, is not to please men. That can be done so easily to the compromise of the truth. Do you remember the first king of Saul? Or first king of Israel, that is Saul, the son of Kish. You remember him, one of his assignments among the first is recorded there in 1 Samuel chapter 15. God said, go down, utterly destroy the Amalekites. That's man, woman, infant, ox, suckling, ass, camel, everything that breathes. Destroy it, is what he told so. Returning from the slaughter, God sent Samuel to meet him. And Saul said, I have obeyed the voice of Jehovah. And Samuel said, now, wait a minute. Oh, what meaneth the bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Saul said, well, you know, the people, they saved the best of the flocks and herds they might sacrifice unto Jehovah in Gilgal. Saul, don't try and snow God. Don't try and flatter the Almighty. It won't work. You see, Samuel told him to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams for rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected thee from being king. You know what he said? He said in 1 Samuel 15, 24, I've sinned. I've sinned. I have sinned against Jehovah and thy word because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. That will kill you every time when what the people want is contrary to the word of God. You know, when Peter talks about adding virtue, that calls for individuality, doesn't it? Virtue is an individual quality. It's required of those who walk in the footsteps of the, of the good shepherd. Because frequently, friend, you're found standing in opposition to mankind. You are found going up against the power of hell. You find yourself on what man would call thin ice. You're standing on the solid foundation of eternal truth, and that's where you have to stand. And if need be, stand alone. It's not easy. It's not easy. 
Saul gave in to the pressure of his peers. Well, someone says, wait a minute, what's wrong with Saul, you know, taking the best of the flocks and and just killing everything else? I mean, this disease stuff over here and maybe killing some of the males and, and what's wrong with saving some of the best? Nothing wrong with it, except God told him to slay everything that breathes. And until you do what God said, you haven't done anything God wants. You see, James 2.10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. Someone says, now wait a minute. If I do everything the best of my ability, the best I can all my life, and then I, I make a mistake, I'm guilty of all. No, 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 that's not what he said. Well, the very idea. He didn't say anything about making a mistake. What he said was, when you come to a point where God's word and your opinion differ, and you follow your own opinion rather than obey God, you haven't been obeying God. You haven't done one thing God said. You see, you were just doing what God wanted because you thought that's what ought to have been done in the first place. Their fear of me is what? A commandment that has been taught them by men. You cannot please God if you're set out to simply please men. Pilate. You remember Pilate? Who was he? Governor of Judea. Luke chapter 3, verse 1. Now you remember him in another setting, don't you? Matthew 27, 24. You remember what he did? He took a basin of water and ceremoniously brought it out and washed his hands before the crowd and said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. Pilate, Pilate, what are you doing here? Who are you, governor of Judea? Where are you, Pilate, praetorium? What do you keep here, Pilate, a garrison of Roman soldiers? You know, why do you keep Roman soldiers here to keep the peace among the Jews? You know, why do you beef up the garrison during the feast days of the Jews? Well, because if they're going to plan an insurrection and they're all together, they're males, that is, they, they would be a logical time. So we bring in additional help. You mean you have your top men right here in the garrison right now. That's right. What are you doing, Pilate? I'm washing my hands of this affair. Oh, but you are delivering Jesus to the will of the people. Right. But there would be a tumult. Well, that's what you're here for, Pilate. That's what God Almighty ordained civil government for. Don't renege now. You have a problem. You know, why did he deliver Jesus? Fear of the people. Why did he just stand up and say, I'm commissioned by the Roman government to maintain the peace, and I also am to be equitable in my judgments of these certain cases brought before me. I declare this man to be innocent, disband, and go home. It worked. No, instead it was fear of the people. You know, trying to please men made the rulers of John chapter 12 refuse to confess Christ. You recall in verse 42 there, Nevertheless, even the rulers, among the rulers, many believed on him because the Pharisees, they would not confess him lest they be cast out of the synagogue. For why? 
They love the praises of men more than the glory that is of God. Pleasing men. Friend, there are congregations of the Lord's church where the preacher is strongly discouraged or even disallowed to preach on subjects like immodesty or the wearing of immodest apparel. There are congregations of the Lord's church where you cannot speak on social drinking. Congregations of the Lord's church where you cannot speak on divorce and remarriage. What's the problem? Same problem Pilate had. Same problem same thing that caused the rulers to reject Christ. They love the praises of men more than the glory that is of God. God forbid that an honest gospel preacher set foot in a pulpit under such an oversight. Paul said, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I would not be the servant of Christ. What's that? Jesus said, woe unto you, when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. What kind of prophets did their fathers speak well of? Those who tickled the ear. Those who told them only what they wanted to hear. Prophesy unto us lies. Prophesy unto us deceits. The tickling of lustful ears. It can happen. It's happening today, friends, in churches of Christ. God forbid. Pleasing men is not the job. It's marvelous when we have the opportunity to please men. That's great. But first of all, we must please God. And if man's pleased with that, fine. If not, we must please God. You remember 2 Timothy chapter 4? Mentioned it earlier uh, yesterday, I believe, in, in, in uh, chapter 4, 1 through 4. But you remember the end of that. He said, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine." But after their own lust shall they keep, heap to themselves teachers. And he said, having itching ears. And they shall turn their ears away from the truth, and they shall be turned unto fables. What did he say before that? Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. In season, out of season? Right. Preach it when they want it and when they don't, when they like it and when they don't. Preach it. Don't change it. Don't change it. You see, you cannot please God if you've set yourself simply to please men. And yet we fall so easily. People can fall so easily into the snares of Satan. Now, each of these areas can be corrected. And they can be corrected instantly. Ignorance, we can cure that immediately. We can do some Bible reading. We can have the attitude that I want to find out what the Lord said. I want to know his will. It's marvelous. Prejudice? Well, I have to work on that sometimes. It's like other qualities, negative in nature. Consider every man is made in the image and likeness of God, the object of your love, the concern of the Almighty. And you know when love overflows in your heart, prejudice goes out the window. There's no room for it. And then that thing of pleasing men, no, just set your affection on things above where Christ is, not upon things of this earth. And as Paul stated, Colossians 3.3, 3, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Isn't that marvelous? Friend, if you're subject to the Lord's invitation tonight, we invite you to come.
You know, among responsible humanity, there's just two classes, the lost and the saved, the world and the church. And tonight, you're either in one or the other. If you're here and outside of Christ, why not come to Him in humble obedience to believe on Him? Are you willing to repent of your sins? Are you willing to confess His name before men? Are you willing to be baptized then, according to His instruction, buried with Him in that watery grave of baptism, raised to walk a new creature in Christ, where all spiritual blessings are located? Marvelous. If you're here tonight as a child of God and you've wandered away, Friend, you need to come home. You need to be restored, and you can be restored. The Bible teaches that through repentance and prayer. If you are here as a member of the body, and you've got some problem you're dealing with, some burden upon your heart, and you just want the prayers of the church, friend, let us pray with you and for you. But no one here has all the answers, but God does. And he loves you more than the human heart can comprehend. If we can assist you in any way, why not come? As together we stand and sing.